the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Show. I am Robert Steinbuck here in the studio. It is 7.07 a.m., 45 degrees here in Little Rock as you all are driving into work, no doubt. <clears throat> in the studio with me is Hannah Webb Howard, president and founder of the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen Law School. And am I right, Zach? On the line we have with us Senator-elect, Senator, I'm just going to call it Senator Dan Sullivan. Dan, how are you? I'm doing just great, Robert and Hannah. Good to talk with y'all. It's great to have you on the air. And part of the purpose, of course, of the conversation is just to celebrate this wonderful victory for the people. And I mean that sincerely. It's a great accomplishment for you, no doubt. But I'm less concerned. I must be candid with you about that than I am about how wonderful this is for the people of Jonesboro, Craighead County, and the state of Arkansas. Let's talk about the election. And at this point, we don't need to, as you're well aware, talk about your opponent as much as I want to talk about what your election reflects in terms of the desires of the people of not only your district, but of the state of Arkansas. What do we see going forward with you now as a senator? Well, first of all, Robert, let me say that, you know, we won because we trusted the people. And I think it, it really uh, sparked a chord with the people of Craighead County when I would go and sit in the bleachers, you know, go to church with, go to coffee shops, you know, for months. Uh, we did that every day, every night, uh, and just went out and talked to the people to find out what they wanted. Uh, what, what were their thoughts on issues and really had true discussions. And I actually, as you mentioned earlier in the show today, uh, trust the people. And I think that's getting to be unusual now. Uh, many of our, many legislators tend to trust uh, the lobbyist, whether it's the American Medical Society, one of the largest and most powerful lobbies in the state, the hospital lobby. Uh, people tend to trust just what they what they say and what they promote. And of course they have a lot of money and they can promote their message a lot of ways. But when you sit down and talk to people and you find out what they think and what they want, it doesn't align with those large lobbying groups. And I think that's why we won. I'm, I'm sure that's a part of why you won. And I say only part because I think another part that your humility uh, didn't uh, allow you to offer up is that you are able to connect with your constituents because you aptly recognize 
that the job of a legislator is to represent his or her constituents, to be a servant to them, not to be a director of them. And that latter notion, unfortunately, uh, comes to the minds of many legislators after they're elected. They believe that they are divinely appointed. They are not. They are elected by the people and for the people. And too often we'll see legislators and executives elected. And well, actually, in this state, we elect our judges, too, and judges thinking that they are directing the people, not the other way around. You have to take your cue from the people. Listen to them uh, and, as you say, represent them. I think that's one of the things that we did. And, you know, people uh, are asking now, what was the key? What was the key? How did you win? It was because we listened to the people uh, and just represented the people as you spoke. And, you know, often legislators do get down there. And you learn pretty quickly that you can get reelected if you just do what you're told by the powers in Little Rock, whether that's administrative powers, whether that's lobbying powers, because that's where the money is. And you can get the money to get reelected and you can stay down there as long as you want. You just do what you're told. And it really didn't make a lot of difference to me if I got reelected. I knew what my core values were. I know what the core values of my community are. And my core values align with those of our community. And I was going to stand for those core values regardless. You know, we, uh, we went, entered into this race. You know, it, it felt like uh, it was me alone. You know, I decided I thought this was what I wanted to do. And it became very apparent that you just can't run a Senate race with just a few people and by yourself. But when we expressed what our core values were, what we believed was the potential for our county, the potential for our state, and the pathway to get there, uh, you know, we had a lot of people come alongside us. And it was a victory for the people. You mentioned that earlier. And I, I can't think of a race that I've been uh, you know, involved in personally where this, that happened to this extent. The people won here, and they beat some powerful, powerful lobbies and powerful people in the state uh, and beat them overwhelmingly. And I hope that sends a message, and I think you mentioned this earlier also. I hope it sends a message around the state that the people rule. I think that's part of what our country was founded on, wasn't it? Indeed. And it's such a critical notion. I think it's so important when we see what, what I see you as, what I call the reluctant elected official. And by reluctant, I mean not reluctant to serve, but someone who's not actively pursuing the position for his own self-aggrandizement. And too many elected officials do that. I remember I once was <clears throat> in law school. You serve, you, you often work on a, on a journal, a publication, and then the next, you do it first year as an apprentice, essentially, and the next year they, the outgoing members pick the positions of the uh, rising members and they come and they talk to you and they say, well, we think you might be good for this position or that position. And then if you uh, have the opportunity, you can choose amongst them. And someone said to me, well, you could have this position, which is a higher position on the board, or you could have this lower position. And I was interested in the lower position because it, the job function was something that interested me. I didn't care about the title. And the person couldn't understand this. But the other one has this other title. 
So I don't care about the title. Now, if you like that other thing, do the other thing. But if you like the yeah. thing that I like, do the thing that I intend to do the thing that I like. And so when someone runs to be a state rep, when someone runs to be a state senator or federal as well or governor, whatever it may be, and they're interested in that title, I'm not interested in them. But if they're interested in the job and with that comes the title or not, who cares? Then that's the person that I want representing me. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, of course, as a uh, state senator, uh, it, again, you just have to work with a lot of people. Uh, we had people knocking doors uh, and just coming to us. Can I knock doors? Can I make phone calls? Uh, you know, we had people of our faith community here in Jonesboro. And, you know, many churches in the South are very reluctant to get involved. And I understand that there's a, a misconception in my mind about separation of church and state. But most people believe, you know, we want to have a, you know, keep politics out of church. And I'm respectful of that. Robert, we had people walk out of those church doors and then start knocking doors for us. Uh, you know, they would walk out of church and start uh, making phone calls for us uh, just because of the shared beliefs that we have. And I think that's the, the key to, the, to our victory was it was a shared belief. It wasn't the belief of others. It was the belief that we all shared. Uh, and that's for the common good of our community. Uh, we're excited about it. It was a, a great race, a hard race. Uh, you know, some said it was uh, a little bit dirty, but, you know, that, that doesn't bother me. You know, I don't take well, anything personally. I don't buy uh, it. I don't buy it because the claim, of, the, the claim uh, th- that you describe quite literally, quite literally, was you when you and your supporters, amongst them me, by the way, as you well know, I don't need to, to tell you of that, said, wait a second, your opponent is saying that he supports X when he quite literally voted the other way. So if telling the truth about the opponent is as you describe, then so be it. But clearly it's not. And this is, you know, I, and I don't want to have to dig up all, all the past. We, you had a, essentially a 60 percent uh, to 40 percent victory. So it's clear that your message came through and truth matters, as I've uh, been known to say, including in your race, if you recall, truth matters. And the truth is that you were the conservative choice. And hey, so be it. Meaning if there were more leftists in Craighead County than there were conservatives, you wouldn't have won. I live in a district that's over that that would be very difficult for a conservative to run in because there are a lot of leftists. I'm not going to change my views because of that, but I'll either not run or there's a good chance, should I have run, that I wouldn't be successful. So be it. But my views are my views. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we uh, did a really good job of is getting um, our message out there. What do we believe? And being very clear about that. And if we had differing views than, our, than my opponent, we were very willing to talk about that. Uh, you know, here's here's how he voted. Here's how I voted. Here's what he thought about those issues on record. Here's what I thought about those issues. And when the people found out about that and we uh, they examined and we had a lot of people that did the research, Robert. And that's one of the things that I was so uh, thankful for and almost surprised at. We would have people come by us uh, and say, you know, I've done my research. I looked because I saw that you were saying one thing, your opponent was saying another. So I did my research on the votes. And, boy, you talk about something that's really encouraging. 
is to find out that the electorate is out there studying what your voting record is. And that ought to put a lot of legislators on notice also that, uh, you know, people are, are watching what we do every day and every vote. And that's a good thing. It's a I, wonderful I, thing. Part of it, yeah. uh, as you know, Dan, was that a number of these organizations that want to pursue political agendas, they want to pursue philosophies, approaches, put out scorecards. And you uh, ran the table on conservative scorecards. And what I mean by that is, look, if the um, um, Planned Parenthood put out a scorecard, you would get a lousy grade because you're pro-life. And you know what you would say? That's a correct grade. I am not uh, a Planned Parenthood supporter. So different groups, of course, now I'm, let's look at the conservative groups like the NRA, and we'll talk about that. And by the way, upcoming on the show, after you're off, Dan, at, I think at the 8 o'clock hour, we've got the NRA rep calling in. We're going to discuss okay. yeah, the right. NRA's wonderful support for you. But the point is, <clears throat> this is a tool for the constituents to learn about their candidates. Different groups put out scorecards. NRA, obviously gun issues. Uh, conduit for action. Uh, conservative financial uh, values, uh, Americans for Prosperity, similar conservative financial issues. And you ran the table. You ran the table because they accurately reflected your views. I'm not saying that some private organization couldn't get it wrong at some point, and then we would have to highlight that they made a mistake. But in this case, they got it right. And that's a tool for people to learn about their candidates, and they learned well about you. Yeah, like you say, the information is out there, uh, and it's so encouraging to see that the people, you know, again, the people rule, and if the people are uninformed, then it's very then rule will be uninformed, and government will be uninformed. Uh, so, you know, good. I'm excited that people are taking an interest. Listening to your show helps educate voters, and Dave's show, you know, it helps educate voters on what the issues are that affect their everyday lives. You know, one, we listened to people as they talked, and, of course, taxes were incredibly important to people. They are really concerned about their taxes going up and going up. Uh, you know, the road tax that's coming up and the, the amendment coming up. You know, uh, we are getting ready to, to vote on whether we're going to give our money uh, to an unelected commission. And that unelected commission will then determine how to distribute the money around the state. Well, I tell you, I'm in northwest, northeast Arkansas, and I'm very concerned that money, our tax dollars that we send to Little Rock may not come back to northeast Arkansas because a committee or a commission may decide it has better use in another part of the state. And, Wait, you know, Dan, issues- Dan, are you suggesting that an unelected, unaccountable commission may not wind up representing the interests of the people? I find that virtually shocking. Of course, I'm being sarcastic. Dan, hold the line. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk to you about this very issue in just one moment. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. It is 725 in the morning, 45 degrees here in Little Rock. Excuse me, all in the studio. Hannah Webb Howard, president and founder of the Second Amendment Society at the Bowen Law School. On the line, Senator Dan Sullivan, state senator, uh, I realize it's Senator-elect, Dan. Uh, good luck getting me to say that on a regular basis. As far as I'm concerned, you were a senator before even the election took place. So let's talk about this highway tax. 
it, it, as you aptly brought it up, it's really remarkable to me. It's downright offensive to me. I got to be honest with you. The notion that we would create a system wherein an unelected body uh, is guaranteed money, tax money from the electorate in the Constitution. Not that the Constitution says the ability to tax, the actual tax. There will be a half a percent actual tax built into the Constitution going to an unelected body to spend on highway matters. And if they don't do what we want them to do, it's sort of like the mall cop. You know what the mall cop does, Dan? When someone steals something from the Spencer Gifts and he's running in the opposite direction, the mall cop screams out, stop or I'll yell stop again. Right. And that's how we as the people will be able to operate with this unelected commission collecting billions of dollars over time from the elected. Stop spending our money in a way that we don't want you to or we're going to yell again. Stop spending our money in a way that you don't want us to. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. And, you know, Robert, uh, I hope that message can get out there because, you know, the the uh, highways commission now. Uh, is going around the state telling people that if you don't pass this tax, your roads will collapse. Well, that's absolutely not true. It's a lie. That power is vested in your legislature. And if the people rule, then the people need to tell their legislators, we do want to be taxed or we don't want to be taxed or our roads do need to be fixed. And I think overwhelmingly we're hearing from the people that we need our roads fixed. Uh, well, how we go about that, there are ways to do that without raising taxes by going to our general revenue, as many other states do. But, well, and of know, course, Dan, again, as you aptly know, we don't even have that half cent tax in the Constitution yet, although they are collecting that tax now. But this notion that the world is going to come to an end if we don't build into the state Constitution a, a lifetime tax to an unelected uh, bureaucracy belies history. What have we done? Just take the last 50 years. What have we done then? Do we not have roads? Have we fallen into the center of the earth? Is this a, a Jules Verne novel? What is going on here with these? This is the typical leftist claim as they have made with all things, right? Oh, well, the earth's going to split in half in, in the next two months because of climate change. Right. Everything is. Oh, the world's going to come to an end because we're going going to enter into nuclear war because uh, we elected Donald Trump. None of these predictions of dire consequences have come true. That doesn't mean we don't plan for the future. But don't scare me into trying to make a stupid decision and giving power to an unelected bureaucracy with billions of dollars is exactly the wrong thing. As I mentioned on the air before you joined us. The famous quote that says democracy is the worst form of government next to all of the others. And so while giving the choice on how to spend our money to the legislature is going to certainly have its element of inefficiency. You know what's worse than that? Giving that decision making to an unelected bureaucracy. We've got less than a minute before we take a break and we're going to carry you over through through that break if you're available. What's what's your thought on that in the last 20 seconds or so? Absolutely right. And we just need to continue to help get that message out to the people because we do not need an unelected commission deciding where your hard-earned tax dollar go. It needs to be to your elected official, 
And if you don't like the decisions your elected official is making, you can fire them. You mean the way that we fired one state senator to hire another state senator? I'm not going to use any names, Dan, where the second one is going to observe the will of the people. Think about that. We're going to take a break right now. This is the Dave Ellswick Show. I am Robert Steinbuck. Filling in for David is 735 in the morning here in Little Rock, 45 degrees in the studio. Hannah Webb Howard, who is uncharacteristically quiet during our interview with Dan Sullivan, perhaps because I have not let her get in a word edgewise. Dan, we're going to have to do something about that. But before we let her, I want to raise with you uh, an important issue that I touched on before the break, and that is... A number of good conservative organizations put out good scorecards, and one of them did a very important job, and that's the NRA, of course. And here's what I want to say about the NRA. At times, I've been critical of the NRA when I think they were a little slow to step up to the plate to do things. They are a large organization, and at times, they can demonstrate some bureaucracy. But at many other times, many, many other times, they do... Excellent yeoman's work getting out there and informing the people as to who is the pro-Second Amendment candidate and who is not, the pro-gun rights candidate and who is not. And I am having later on the show the representative from the NRA to discuss what they did, to compliment what they did. But they really did a remarkable job in your election in demonstrating, in clarifying, in informing for and informing the electorate about how you have a history, a documented history of being pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment, and your opponent did not. How important was that in this election, Dan? It's always hugely important when people uh, have a good debate. And, of course, the NRA, we've had debates about issues all along, but they stood up in this one, stood strong are um, what they stand for, you know, their principles and what they stand on. Uh, and I was so thankful to see them uh, do what I think they should do and organizations like that should do is you have your set of principles. And when people agree with you, you acknowledge that. When people disagree with you, you acknowledge that also. And it was hugely important that the NRA came out in this race uh, and just made their position known whether, again, it was for me or, or for my opponent, they just simply stated the facts. Here's what Dan's opponent is saying, and here's how, what we think about that. And that was really important in our race, and I appreciate their uh, expressing that. Well, and, and as do I, and like I say, we're going to talk with the NRA rep uh, at the 8 o'clock hour. You came, Dan, of course, to the law school when uh, Hannah... Uh, was putting on, we were putting on the Stand Your Ground uh, forum for people to learn about that law. And I want to talk about that issue because obviously that bill is now going to pass. The one hiccup last term will no longer uh, be a, a something for us to overcome. So let's talk, you and I and Hannah, about what is Stand Your Ground and why it's common sense yet important legislation for the people of Arkansas. Why don't you start, Dan? Well, uh, again, it's all about our God-given rights. These are not rights given to us by the Sheriff's Association. They're not rights given to us by the Prosecutor's Association. They're not rights given to us by the mayors or the state government. 
there. It's a right given to us by God. Uh, so it's immensely important. And I appreciate the Bowen School of Law bringing us all together to have that conversation. So, Hannah, thank you. Well, thank you for coming because, again, we reached out to your opponent and he did not come. Claim conflict against us. That's fine. But another thing to note about Dan. Time conflict, just, yeah. by the way. But but another thing to note about Dan is this is the only time he's come to the school to do something like this. And what people don't see is, especially the first time you came, I think you came to maybe a college Republican meeting. What I, it doesn't matter. The point being, you stayed after, and we sat in a circle, and you rolled your sleeved up sleeves up and said to us, what are your concerns? What needs to change? And what is your opinion? Like, you looked at us as law students and respected our opinion and our concerns and meant it. And people, the public doesn't see that. And so your involvement, especially with the younger generation, in my opinion, since I am the younger generation, sets you apart from the rest. And that's a call to other legislators. Listen, you got to reach out to your young people because we're paying attention and it matters to us. Yeah, well, I agree. You know, as you mentioned that, I'm going to flip to a little bit of another issue. But Dave, I mean, uh, Robert, right along what you talked about earlier, we were talking about um, the impact and and talking to people in these groups that try to impact what we think. You know, the America, the Arkansas Medical Society and the Hospital Association jumped into this race big time, a lot of money, big time, uh, a lot of things. This and that is another unelected body that's trying to force their will on the people with misinformation. Uh, limited information in the American or uh, the Arkansas Medical Society took out several ads, full page ads in the paper telling people that, you know, if Dan Sullivan gets elected, uh, you know, uh, the medical field or the our medical hospitals and doctors, are, it's going to crash. Uh, they were t- saying Arkansas works will crash if Dan Sullivan gets elected. They were pulling nurses into meetings telling the nurses that if, if Dan Sullivan gets elected, that there'll be some of you lose your job. That, you know, I have tremendous respect for our uh, medical professionals, our doctors, our nurses, and others. But this is the Arkansas Medical Society, who uh, is one of the richest and most powerful lobbies in the state, putting out false information and misinforming the people. Uh, and people kind of looked at that and said, wait a minute. We know Dan. We know Dan's not going to throw us under the bus, whether those were employees, nurses, whether they are uh, constituents and people that need uh, medical care and can't afford it. They know me, and I know them, Hannah, for just exactly what you were talking about, because we sit down with them and talk with them. But those kinds of lobbies, particularly the American Medical Society and the healthcare, uh, I'm sorry, the hospital lobby, are spending millions of dollars all over the state trying to promote a system that even the governor has said cannot sustain itself without the work requirement. The work requirement is gone. That means Arkansas Works in its current form is unsustainable. Everyone agrees with that, and everyone in the legislature knows it. Everyone in the administration knows it, but they will not tell the people. We went out and told the people. This is unsustainable in its current form. The only way to sustain it is cut services or raise your taxes. And it just seems like every time there's a problem, whether it's a medical issue, Arkansas Works, Medicaid expansion, highways, 
The only answer we consider is raise your taxes, raise your taxes, raise your taxes. And people are just about tired of that because there absolutely are other solutions. And the people are looking for legislators who will examine those other solutions in an open way and try to make better decisions. Dan, you know what's really telling about this is, like any organization, we talked about a bunch of private organizations a moment ago that put out scorecards, and I I said that I thought that was a good idea. The Medical Association is a private organization, and they're perfectly entitled, as you well recognize, no doubt, to, to share their views. What differs about the Medical Association from, say, the NRA, for example, is the NRA pursues a policy goal based on their genuine belief as to what will make Americans, and in this case, Arkansans, better off. The medical associations pursue their financial interest. And when the financial interest aligns with the claimed political interests, I'm far more skeptical. And I believe, I'm confident that the medical association in supporting your opponent was concerned about ensuring that there was government mandated we love that word because it's appropriate here, mandated money coming into their coffers. And that's why they supported, be it your opponent or certain policies. I'm not interested in those organizations that put out scorecards or support candidates based on their private personal financial interests. And that's why while these notion, this notion of evaluating scorecards or support by particular organizations is important. The electorate needs to be somewhat informed as to who's saying what and why. Supported uh, scope of practice, and many people may not know what that means, but it just means letting nurses practice to the full scope of their licensure, training, expertise, and professionalism. The medical society has killed that every time. Well, guess what the health professionals nationally are saying now with the uh, coronavirus going around? They want us to do more telehealth. Our medical society has killed the telehealth bills for years, ever since I've been in the legislature. The, uh, nationally, the uh, national officials are saying we need better access to care all throughout the state. Well, expanding scope of practice allows that, and something like 27 or 28 other states do that. But the medical society has killed that every time, not only killed the bill, but killed any real public debate about that. They have the power uh, to influence legislators, and that's what they'll do. And I just encourage the people and your listeners to keep an open mind and start looking into this about the influence that an unelected uh, group of people can have over what choices you make. And Dave, I'm sorry, Robert, to me, it also... Uh, makes it's a huge point. If I want to, as a free American, if I want to choose to use telehealth, if I want to choose to use an uh, CRNA or an advanced practice nurse, if I want to make those choices, who is the Arkansas uh, Medical Society to tell me I can't? That's exactly right. Elected board. It's my choice. Well, and I hope that this session we can pass gun legislation, and I hope we can get together and pass some of these. Uh, health issues also, whether it's uh, uh, Medicaid expansion uh, or you know paying for that, which we obviously can't do. 
that the public will be informed about that and investigate it. That's exactly right, Dan. Telehealth is the single most important advance that we can make in medicine today. And that is, think about the model that we have right now, particularly with the coronavirus going on. What you do is you get sick, and then you go to a room filled with sick people with different diseases, and you sit around there. Because, by the way, your appointment is for when they want you sitting in the waiting room, not when you'll actually get care. And then after 15 minutes to an hour and a half, they call you in to the second waiting room. That's also the exam room, but it's a waiting room because then you wait another 15 minutes to an hour and a half, and then the doctor comes in. Well, actually, the nurse comes in and repeats all the questions on the form that you had to fill out in the first waiting room because apparently they don't believe you. And then then you sit there while they do secretarial work inputting that data into the computer, something that can all be done when you're not there. And then the doctor shows up, and then you get diagnosed, treated, whatever the case may be. Now, think about removing you from that sick environment and giving you the opportunity to get some treatment, not all treatment, but some treatment electronically. We have all of these advances in technology, but somehow we use a 1950s model of medicine. And how good would it be if you could get some treatment through telehealth? Now, there are certainly many circumstances, no doubt, in which the doctor needs to physically examine you. But think about all those times you've gone into the doctor's office and they haven't done so. And all of that can be taken place more cheaply and more safely through telehealth. So these are the types of technologies we need to explore. Dan, we're going to have you back for one final segment. Uh, So please hold the line. We're going to take a break now, and we'll be right back. We'll come back. This is Dave Ellsworth Show. I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave on this Friday morning. In the studio is Hannah Webb Howard. It is 7.52 in the morning, 45 degrees here in Little Rock. We have our final segment with Senator Dan Sullivan. Dan, uh, we were talking before the break about how we need to expand how we get medical treatment. On this final segment, perhaps we can talk about what is will be now your old representative seat. I must be candid with you. I don't know what's going on up there in Jonesboro with that election. Can you let the people here in Little Rock, and I realize that people all over the state listen to this on Facebook, etc., but in particular those folks outside of Jonesboro to know what's going on up in Craighead County with your now or soon to be vacant rep seat as you move into the senatorial position. Well, sure. Let me throw one more thing out there Please. before we go there. Yeah. So, Robert, yeah. you know, the same thing is true of the medical society. It's also true of the Arkansas Education Association. Oh, yeah. You know, very liberal group uh, that is absolutely, uh, you know, my goal is to try for less regulation for limited government. And these groups like the Education Association, uh, the Medical Society, all of those groups are trying to limit your choices. They want your money. They want to reduce the choice that you have and just sit down and do what they say. So, you know, that was a huge win also for us. But on, as far as the race up here goes, there was a, it was a three-way race. Uh, uh, Dr. Kolpeck. Uh, is in the race now in the runoff against uh, John Milligan. John is the mayor from Lake City, Arkansas. And again, we just have an uh, uh, 
an election now that the American, the Arkansas Medical Society is trying to drive and get one more doctor in the legislature who, and of course the doctors have a uh, strong history of always voting for control by um, the medical society. They continue to vote for Arkansas Works, even though it is unsustainable. And I think they may have mentioned that in the budget hearings the other day, that it is unsustainable. And what do we do now? But here we have a doctor running uh, who does not, uh, isn't very transparent in his answers, but all the things we talked about, about deregulation, about telehealth, about scope of practice, about finding sustainable ways uh, to afford health care for our most needy. We have a doctor running again, and I just, again, I'm, I'm very suspicious uh, when we have the medical society entering into these races. Uh, you know, you may have been familiar, it was in the paper, I guess, several months ago about a uh, potential bribe that was offered uh, to, um, you know, from uh, Dr. Peck's campaign, not from Dr. Peck, but from Dr. Peck's campaign, one of his workers offered uh, Mr. Milligan, uh, Mayor Milligan, uh, a bribe that Mayor Milligan turned down. Good. Reported the ethics. That yeah. he turned it down, that uh, is. Not that the other guy yeah. offered a bribe. I do vaguely remember that. What, 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 what exactly happened there? Well, you know, there's a series of text messages that went across just saying, you know, if you will, Mayor Milligan, if you'll drop out of the race and support uh, Dr. Peck, then we'll help your uh, daughter get a scholarship to in the school she is going to. You know, and the attorney general's office is, let me just finish this. The attorney general's office said they'd investigate and it's been months and we haven't heard anything. Uh, And we just like to hear before the people go to the poll and vote for their next state representative. You know, what is the position? What really did happen? What are the facts? Because we don't know. And I would hope uh, Dr. Peck would come out and just tell us what he knew about it uh, and make that public. I think the electorate deserves to know all the details about that. You know, Dr. Peck's final statement in that issue was, let's, let's, uh, you know, I didn't have anything to do with it. Let's put it aside and talk about uh, what's important in Northeast Arkansas. Well, I'll tell you what, Dave, as you know, we've got several, Dave, Robert, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I should, I should be so confused. This- as we continue, as we come to an election, people just need to know uh, what the facts are so they can make an accurate uh, decision. So that's that's kind of the detail of what happened. But it's going to be a close race up here. And, uh, you know, people just need to know the facts and know who's involved in it, what's going on. Well, I think you're exactly right, Dan, because it's so important that we ensure that this type of cronyism that is described by this um, purported act of bribery be cleaned out of our system. I am so tired of the the elite, self-appointed elite, telling us who should run, who should not run. They sit around in their smoke-filled rooms saying, well, now it's the time for so-and-so to run for office. And so, hey, we'll pay you off not to run so we can put our crony in and your time will come if it does or does not who knows and that's one of the issues that we all ran against i mean that collectively through the will of the people 
in not only your election, but a lot of these primary elections that took place just the other day. And that was the statement that the people are going to decide who wins what election. It's not going to be decided by some big muckety-muck saying, this is the person that you should vote for. The, the people decided because the people's will is what should and does count. And in Arkansas, amongst other places, mind you, but nonetheless, in Arkansas, I still see too much of these muckety-mucks, these elitists sitting around telling us who should be the candidate and who should be the winner And I'm not interested in that. And luckily, that's not how the system ultimately operates. But we have got to continue to push back when the elitists look down their noses at us and tell us the way we should live. For example, and we're going to talk about this in the next session. We didn't talk about it with you that much. But we, of course, will continue this conversation going forward for years to come. How the elitists in their gated communities chauffeured around in their limousines with their private protectorate, as Bloomberg suggested before he dropped out of the race, believe that they're entitled to protection with people with the very guns that they want to prohibit you and I from owning because, you know, we're just the masses. We're just the plebes. We're just the pawns. We get thrown into the ditch. We don't count. Well, you and I and Hannah and Dave's audience don't believe that. So I'm glad. Robert, go ahead. Yeah, let me just jump in for you. I know you got to close, but you know we really need for the attorney general's office to step in here because what good does a decision uh, or opinion have, our decision have after the election? It's almost meaningless, and we really need the attorney general's office to step up and come out with some kind of decision over what's happened up there and. In District 53. Well, I, I agree with you, Dan. I'm going to have to cut collective. you off. I hope we hear something. And it was a pleasure having you on. We will talk with you soon again. Thank you.